In episode 78 of MobyCast, we introduced the AWS Well-Architected Framework, an indispensable resource of best practices when running workloads in the cloud. We explained that the framework defines five pillars of excellence, and we dug deep on the first pillar, operational excellence. If you missed that episode, you can hit pause, and we'll wait here while you catch up. Now, in this episode of MobyCast, John and Chris continue their three-part series on the AWS Well-Architected Framework and discuss the next two pillars of excellence, security and reliability. Welcome to MobyCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. Good to be back. Yeah, good to have you back. So again, without Rich, another week goes by. We're missing the man. You should be back soon. Um, we are still in the middle of just the depths of learning about software architecture. And there is so much here, so much to learn, that we can't get it all done in a quick 40-minute conversation. Uh, so two weeks ago, we started this off with the 12-factor app. And that was pretty easy and digestible. And it was just like, here's some things you do with an app to make sure that it's pretty good and you can deploy it onto it like a platform as a service and, and it works well and is pretty reliable. Then last week, we got into the real hardcore stuff. Um, we started doing the well-architected framework from AWS, which is just a beast. It is just like, here's everything you need to know and do if you're going to run um, distributed systems that are capable of serving millions and millions of people and have you know umpteen nines worth of uptime. Um, and there are five pillars. And last week we we got through. There's five pillars, and there's also you know some general design principles and just like the introduction of the whole thing. So last week we talked about just the whole thing and what it is and some of the general design principles, and then we talked about the first pillar, which was operational excellence. Um, this week, we're going to talk about two more pillars, security and reliability, and uh, I'm excited. I, I think that we'll, we'll, um, we've noticed that not everybody that listens to MobyCast loves our episodes about security, so we'll keep that tight. Um, we might not even put it in the title, um, <laughs> but uh, we have to talk about it. It's pretty important. <laughs> so, so we'll talk about security and reliability. Chris, you want to kind of kick those off for us? And, and any kind of, you know, talking about stuff we talked about before, too, is, is welcome. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you set it up perfectly, so we're just going to roll right into it here with the second pillar um, being security. And, uh, you know, well, uh, there's a lot, again, there's a lot here. Um, security is extremely important. Um, I mean, just there are breaches um, um, every day um, and these are really expensive, right? They cost millions and millions and millions of dollars, you know, across the board. So um, security, we always kind of laugh at it a little bit, like, oh, we, you know, no one likes to talk about it. No one, no one likes to do it, but it's just, it's so important. And I mean, the, I think the great news here is that there are so many tools and services that make it so so much easier. Like it doesn't have to be a really big thing, right? You You can actually get, a big area of coverage with security with with not a lot of effort, right? But you just have to 
have to make that commitment to you know mm-hmm. actually include it, right? And so that's and that's one of the reasons why it's it's here, right? It's one of the pillars. I mean, I remember the the first time that you were looking at the well, well architected framework, and you were like scalability, like that should be a pillar, right? It's like right, yeah, it's not right. So um, instead, it's it's in this it's in reliability is is really um, kind of where that is, but. Security right. is so important; it gets its own pillar. Right? Yes, and it, it, you know, security is the high fiber diet of software engineering. Like, you definitely want to, you know, do the things that are not not the best tasting in order to have good results. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, indeed. But yeah, so let's let's dive into it. So, um, you know, security pillar—they define it as a security. It's the ability to protect information, systems, and assets while delivering business value through risk assess- assessments and mitigation strategies, right? So this is all about... That's a mouthful. That is a mouthful. Yeah, but I mean, so the important thing here is just, it's. I think it's risk assessments, right? So knowing what's mm-hmm. a, you know, where, where, where you have risk areas and then developing your mitigation strategies, right? So right on. Um, let's how talk are about the first, to- first three things too, though. Like why bother separating out information systems and assets? What are those three things? I guess data, that's mm-hmm. maybe in databases. Systems mm-hmm. are like computers or running software, maybe. Yeah, running software is what I would think of as systems. Um, and then assets would be the actual computers or load balancers or physical devices kind of kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. maybe, yeah, I guess that's probably what they're talking about when they're talking about assets. I, I guess I was also thinking, you know, assets could be like video files or something like those could be assets. Because it's a weird, you know, it's one of those words that it means one thing in one one situation and another in another. Like if you look at your, you know, Node.js directory and there's a thing called assets in it, that's going to be your images and your, you know, and your HTML, your your images, your videos, and and just things like that, GIFs, whatever. But this is not that kind of assets. This is like business assets, I would guess. Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, this is kind of like the general you know, description, you know, of, of what it is. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get into this with the focus areas and this will become definitely a bit more clear on, you know, what it is um, that needs to be protected, right? But, but Yeah, I guess I interrupted and wondered because it's like, well, if this is so carefully worded, then those three things must be the things. There must not be anything else or, or whatever, but it could just be, you know, a writer did this and those came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, so let, let, let's let's uh, let's walk through the design principles for the security sure. pillar. Before you do, I just want to remind people from last week that sort of every pillar has design principles, it has a focus areas, and it has best practices. And those are the three things we talked about last week. We the operational excellence pillar also had a key service. Oh, it looks like security has key services as well. So, yeah, for, for each pillar, we'll, 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 we will talk about a key service. Key service. Okay, cool. So, key, design principles, key service, focus areas, and best practices. So, here we go with design principles. All right. Yeah. So, um, so first, first design principle is we want to implement a very strong identity foundation, right? So, it's like this is kind of core to to protection is just the fact that you can do things like authentication and authorization. So that's a, the first thing. Second, enable traceability. Um, so being able to see what's happening and what's happened in your system from a, from a security standpoint. Well, that one's nice because we talked about that one last week too. So it's like kill two pillars with one stone. Because you wanted the traceability 
like at least like transactional traceability. We talked about that last week, like putting in um, whether X-ray or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. Yeah. So that that was that was um, yeah request traceability, mm-hmm. transaction uh, traceability. So this is now traceability from the aspect of security and, and access. Like, okay. You know, so this is more like who's actually touching systems, who, what IAM accounts are doing things in your AWS account, kind of. Yeah, stuff. I mean, you know, think about it. like when when they do have like these breaches, right? It's not usually it's not like like all, they 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 don't catch them in the act usually, right? It's like right. Something, something gives rise where they've realized that oh no, we've had a breach, and then they have to do the forensics on it, right? So mm-hmm. that's when they're going back to things like logs and whatever and what other sort of um, data that they have to do that forensic analysis, right? So that's that traceability part. Right, and this is for both. I guess I, I take back one thing I just said. It, it is for the AWS systems and the IAM roles and, and accounts and stuff that are touching that, but it's also your application. So any users that are doing things in your application, that should all be traced as well. Like nobody should be able to change state of your application without sort of being who they are and having that be audited in some way, go into mm-hmm. some sort of log somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this feeds into the next design principle, which is just security at all the layers, right? So, right. you know, you you want security at the data layer, you want it at the infrastructure layer, you want it at the application layer, um, you want it at the network layer. I mean, you just all the layers, right? Right. Yeah. Cool. I could have written this in myself. <laughs> <laughs> the well-architected framework by John Christensen. <laughs> yes. Um, cool. So moving on, uh, the next design principle, um, automate your security best practices. You know, as we talked about before, like a huge theme throughout the entire well architecture framework is automate all the things, right? Anything that can be automated, go ahead and make the investment to automate it. So we did that with in operational excellence, um, you know, automate as much as we can of operations. And so the same thing here at security, take your best practices and, and automate them as much as you can. Another Key design principle here is protect your data in transit and at rest. Very topical coming off of our encryption series mm-hmm. of episodes, right? Where we talked in depth about encryption and, and how you, um, you know, the difference between doing encryption in transit versus at rest. Another principle is keep people away from data. Um, and really what this is saying is like, if someone has no need to access data, then don't allow them to, right? So it's the principle of least privilege here applied to the actual data itself. And so this is obviously super important for folks that have regulations that they need to comply to, like maybe a HIPAA or PCI um, or whatnot, right? So making sure that you're giving least least I think, privilege. I think it's worth telling a quick story about this, because this just came up with one of our clients just the other day. We I feel like this is this is sensitive enough that I should kind of keep who it is and and who the third party is to to myself, but I'll try to at least explain it. It's like there was a, a service that would allow people to write messages to each other, direct messages to each other, and that service has a feature that is an extra add-on pay-for feature that allows you to do um, content moderation. So you could go and um, see if people are saying bad things to each other and stop that, you know, prevent them or or you know tell them not to or whatever, and as we, you know, the, the guiding principle that we were using is, eh, you know what, let's let let's give people the tools to not accept messages from certain people if they want, so to kind of block them or you know, or report them. But but we don't really want to be in the business of knowing what people say to each other. 
you just don't want to even know. And so it was, a, it was like a conscious decision that we were going to absolutely not use those moderation tools. We were not going to buy that feature. We did not want to have access to that feature. It's just like, you don't want to be in the same room as the temptation, right? Like, like make sure, like we just didn't want it. it like, mm-hmm. uh, let's have a policy be that the keys are behind locked doors. Only one, one or two people have access to the keys ever. And if you want to, um, if there's some reason that some messages need to be decrypted, it better be a legal reason. And it's like, we don't, we don't mess around with that stuff. Um, and that was just, I, I think that's a telling example of what, of that security principle you just mentioned. Like, don't make that data available if it is sensitive data and it could um, cause harm to people. Right. Yep, exactly. All right. Um, and then for design pr- principles, to close it out, the last one is to prepare for security events. Right. So this is just, again, kind of knowing like the inevitability, like the, there's probably going to be some kind of incident. So what's your response going to be to that? And just having that, having that thought out, right? Mm-hmm. Like how will you, how will you do it? And so again, this goes back to risk assessments and mitigation strategies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah you, I call everyone into a room and everyone runs around screaming and shouting, pulling their hair. Mm-hmm. That would be my plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, we, we'll, we'll work on that. <laughs> I think we can, we can do a little bit better. Than that. Yeah. Uh, go right. ahead. Yeah. So key service, um, this one's pretty obvious. Um, it's it's uh, AWS IAM, Identity and Access Management, is definitely going to be key to the security pillar here. You know, IAM is the core, you know, identity foundation for AWS and all its services. It gives you support for role users, roles, groups. You can have policies. Um, you can have fine-grained access control. And so... Definitely just this is going to be the foundation um, for for most of the things that we do in the in the security pillar. Right on. It does feel like this is a bit of a push though from AWS. It's like, yes, yes, of course you you need to use IAM for any infrastructural stuff. So you're gonna have roles around ECS, or you're gonna have roles that that end users that can talk to certain EC2 instances, and, and that all makes sense. Of course you have to have that. But I do feel like AWS for a while now, and more and more successfully, is trying to push AIM, IAM into your applications themselves. And that's through tools like Cognito and, and um, Federated Identities, where you know some pool of your users might take on a role, an IAM role, in order to access certain files in S3 or whatever. I just feel like that's the direction that AWS wants to go. They want to they get IAM into your apps instead of having you own everything about your users and your own databases and application software. It just feels that way to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, you know, a common theme just with, with AWS and any one of the, the, the cloud providers is they have their core services um, and, you know, a big part of the, the value proposition is the, is the synergy that you get and the interoperability and the integration between yeah. all those services. And so, you know, IAM is their identity and access management platform that right. all their services are going to use. So right. it's it's going to the more you use that and leverage that, the easier it's going to be for you to integrate into the system, right? It's kind of like what we talked a little bit about with KMS with encryption, mm-hmm. where you know again KMS is the core core service for 
managing keys and, and, and doing things like encryption. And, and it's very well integrated with all the AWS services. So if you want to make things as easy as possible for you and have that deep integration, then you're going to have to use KMS or you should use KMS as opposed to, you know, they will give, you know, they give you the tools so you can, you know, bring your own, do your own thing. But if you do that, you're going to have some heavy lifting to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd say you know today I can imagine doing something where where my actual you know our applications actual users that are in our user table in some database have some sort of direct affinity to IAM roles in order to be able to access certain things, um, and maybe some users have a different role than other users. I can really see doing that today, and I would say five years ago it wouldn't have even crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yep, indeed. All right, so let's um, roll in on um, focus areas. So five focus areas here for the security pillar. So uh, one, identity and access management. Two is detective controls. Three, infrastructure protection. Four is data protection. And the last one is incident response. And so, you know, these focus areas kind of we can now look back at that original statement of, you know, the ability to protect information systems and assets, right? And so what, what, are, what, what does it mean by that, by information systems and assets? And so these focus areas kind of give, give clues to, you know, what we're talking about here. So, you know, one of the focus areas is infrastructure protection. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that is the, you know, the probably, you know, in this case, it's the assets um, mm-hmm. and maybe kind of the, and getting into systems as well. And then we have data protection, which that's going to line up well with the information part of that, of what, what we're protecting. Right. And so, so, so those are the two, the two focus areas around like protection with infrastructure and data. And then we have, you know, the, the core um, identity access management as being one of the, the focus areas. And then we have these detective controls and incidents response. And detec- detective controls is basically... Those are the things that's allowing this traceability for yeah. who's doing what, and then instance responses again is like, what are we going to do if there is a security event? Uh, like, how, how do we, how do we handle that? Right. So, and last week I went on a tirade about focus areas because I felt like prepare, operate, evolve are not, you know, like they don't grammatically fit that word. Mm-hmm. Um, but these ones they feel right to me. These do feel like focus areas of security. So. Mm-hmm. Well, well done on this one, AWS. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, wait till we get to reliability. I don't think you're going to be too happy with, with those focus areas. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Right on. And today, too. Yeah. And today. Stand by. Yes. And then uh, maybe just to call out a little bit, you know, some of the, some of the services, AWS services that will be applicable to each one of these focus areas. So for identity and access management, obviously IAM, that's its reason. I mean, it's actually... <laughs> I am is identity and access management, right? So yeah. it's almost like news, not GNU. Um, <laughs> and then um, other things, though, AWS org organizations and uh, MFA would, would definitely be kind of key features and services to be to be thinking about in that focus area. Okay. For um, detective controls, we'll have things like CloudTrail, CloudWatch. There's a notable lack of cognito on that one. I, I... Point out. Only just because it's, um, I mean, that would definitely fall fall into that um, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but it's 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 not um, it's not as common use case, right? 
like Cognito is a bit more um, at the edges for various different workloads. It's only for certain workloads that you're probably going to use Cognito. So that's why it's not like one of those core services like that we're talking about right now, but absolutely sure. it, it falls under that umbrella. So yeah, for the for detector controls, CloudTrail, CloudWatch, um, AWS Config, and GuardDuty would be some of those um, important services to be thinking about. You know, CloudTrail is the the um, capability for logging basically all the API calls being made in the system, and it's going to vary on the service on exactly what's logged um, as far as the API calls. Uh, but once you enable that um, for your account, you'll you'll get that logging and you'll be able to to see those those events. I think it's worth saying that. When you say all the API calls, that really means everything that happens inside of AWS because nothing really happens in AWS without an API call. When you're using the console, under the covers, an API call happens. When you're using CloudFormation, under the covers, an API call happens. So, right? Like it is. The, the, the kind of um, unfortunate thing is, is that, you know, CloudTrail is not going to log all the API calls. It's only going to, and it, again, it's on a per service basis. Mm. The service is kind of dictating what API calls will get logged to CloudTrail. Mm. Um, so, as an example, um, you know, in, in not too long ago, we we had a, um, a a IAM user account set up, and it had a key pair, uh, a secret key, access key, so um, developer credentials associated with that account, and we. This had been set up a long time ago. Um, these credentials were being used by some application in the system, and of yeah. which there was many, many applications. Right? Um, we could see when these credentials were last used, so we knew that they were still being used. But we had no way of of seeing who was where where this was actually being used. Right? Um, and so the hope was, oh, CloudTrail will help her. And, right. You know, it turns out with CloudTrail, um, and the lo- it's it's only going to log the API calls um, for those credentials on management task, not on actual like user action. So the the calls for using those credentials to do some operation that's not going to get logged. Um, <sighs> And so it was one of those things. It was like, oh man, cloud, this this kind of feels like perfect, like CloudTrail yeah. really helped here. And turns out it wasn't going to help us at all. I want to say that there's some kind of irony about the AWS Wall Architecture Framework and the security best practices and AWS itself sort of tripping over that with that example you just gave. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I can't. I'm not sure. There, there might, there's also it feels like wiggle room for them to say, no, 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 that's on you. You, you should have done that. Yeah. Anyhow, if anyone out there has a better idea for how to figure out like what actual application is using a um, a set of developer keys, I'd be be open open to hearing that. Because we, <laughs> we tried many different. I mean, I was looking. I mean, just anything and everything between CloudTrail and VPC flow logs and uh, just yeah, just kind of anything and everything, and just not not really coming up with anything good um, to try to figure out like who is using this. Mm. Mm. All right. Um, 
infrastructure protection, so that focus area, some some key services you can use there are going to be um, you know VPC, right, um, and all the the network components that go along with that. So you know how you're building out your your subnets and your NACLs, um, security groups, um, yeah. firewalls, right, yeah. Um, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So AWS Shield is another thing here. So helping you with, with distributed denial of service events, service attacks, um, mm-hmm. and then WAF, um, which yeah, is the, that's what I was thinking. The, yeah. the web application firewall. Yeah, so some good services there to take advantage of. Um, for data protection, KMS. Um, so we talked about this in length in the encryption series. ELBs, just in the um, from the respect that ELBs will do TLS um, okay. for you, so let them right. Um, sure. So they can do your, your TLS um, termination. Um, although, Macy, although you don't, I think it's worth pointing out that if you let your ELBs do your TLS termination, then you're not technically all the way end to end with your encryption. No, you're not. So, but it's actually really hard. Um, yeah, to do that. No, we we, so. we have had to do it for another for a client that was uh, had to be HIPAA compliant, and it wasn't wasn't sufficient to let. Um, SSL or TLS terminated at the ELB. Gosh, mm-hmm. that's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, Incident response. And so some key services there are going to be uh, IAM, again, and CloudFormation. And, and so the, the well-architected framework calls out CloudFormation here, which is a little bit of a head-scratcher at first, but really what it is is their, um, their approach to, to these kinds of things is to basically build a clean room environment where they can go do the forensic analysis. So CloudFormation comes in here where it allows you to stand up a complete replica of the environment and do the replay and do the forensic analysis like in this clean room. Okay. Which is, again, pretty sophisticated. Yeah. Um, you know. So those are, so those are the, um, the, the key focus areas and their associated uh, AWS services that are probably going to be pretty, you want to keep pretty close by. As far as best practices go, uh, why don't we talk about a few examples of best practices in some of these focus areas? And so, one would be in in the identity and access management focus area. Um, we could use Cognito. Um, so you, know, you mentioned that before, mm-hmm. um, and so this is absolutely you know one of those best practices to act as a broker between login providers. And also, you know, if you want to do secure access of any AWS service from a mobile device, and and we you know, we talked about this in a previous episode where we we specifically just talked about Cognito and kind of your experience of, of building an app that needed to um, access these AWS services, like I think it was Dynamo, and you know how it could do that securely. And That's so right. Cognito was Cognito was the answer there, where it's, it's basically creating these user pools. Um, that then get mapped to IAM, temporary IAM credentials. Yep, and that was the JavaScript uh, React.js app, so uh, with a node node layer in Lambda. So, yeah, mm-hmm. doesn't it's not just mobile, Cognito isn't. Mm-hmm. Go cool. ahead. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, another, and so in the data protection focus area, um, some best practices there are definitely just encrypt all the things, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to be, you know, use encryption at rest. We want to do encryption in transit. And we want to do encrypt our backups. Again, we, we talked about encryption at length, and just there's really no reason why you shouldn't. There's no reason not to. So just encrypt all the things. 
you also want to do for data protection and do things like versioning. So S3 supports versioning of, of objects. And so this gives you resilience from, you know, mutations that are, you know, bad. You want to be able to re- recover and roll back to a, to a previous version. You can turn off um, a deletion of, of versions as well um, to protect that. You, another best practice in data protection would be, you know, dealing with storage resiliency. Um, so making sure that you have a, a resilient storage platform. So again, things like S3 built out to eleven nines, right? <laughs> so that's pretty durable. You know, you really don't have to worry about losing any data there. And you know, detailed logging is is goes along with this as well. So. In the incidents response, you know, example of best practice there is again using that that templated clean room strategy for for doing the forensic analysis when there is a security event, right? So template out your your environment um, in CloudFormation and use that to quickly spin it up, um, so you can create a new trusted environment to conduct your investigation. And again, that one sounds like big teams only type thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe the thing is when you are when you do have a security incident, it kind of doesn't matter how big or small your team is. It's sort of all hands on deck, and that that could be a great way to, to start to take a look at it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things, you know, where you, obviously you hopefully you never have to do this. Um, mm-hmm. And and yeah, I mean, odds are, like, if you are employing this strategy, then you're a big enough company and team. Um, just to be able to support just, you know, having these, these folks on board to be able to do this. Exactly. All right. So those are the, those are the best practices, right? There were, there weren't any others we were going to talk about for security. And the no, I think, I, you know what, um, you, uh, everyone, you can open your eyes. We've, we've made it through security. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Just a sec. There's something important you need to do. You must have noticed that MobyCast is ad-free, but Chris and John need your help to make this work for everyone. Please help the MobyCast team by giving us five stars on iTunes, writing positive reviews, and telling your colleagues, friends, neighbors, children, and pets about the show. Go ahead and do it now. Great. I promise not to ask you to do that again. So time to talk about reliability. I think we can get a good part of this today and then two more pillars next week yeah yeah reliability go for it so yeah pillar three is reliability right so what is that so reliability is the ability to recover from failures to dynamically acquire resources to meet demand and to mitigate disruptions um, such as network issues right so this is this is a Again, a big comprehensive swath of, of functionality that it's dealing with, right? So it's it's not it's just everything that goes into having a a, a workload that's always it's 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 always available, right? And it's and it's and it's operating and, and people can can use it in a timely fashion. So so we're going to deal with failures. Um, we're going to deal with scaling up and down, um, and we're going to be resilient um, to you know disruptions that shouldn't take us down completely, right? That we might we might do some some graceful degradation, right? And you know, reliability is so big that it kind of makes me feel like uh, it makes me think about illities in general. I'm not sure if you've heard that term as as a computer term thrown around. Just illities, have you heard that? 
Yeah, I mean, it, you know, we talk about things like scalability, reliability, maintainability, mm-hmm. um, and, <laughs> and, and it's like the ability. Reliability is probably one of the. It, it's the grandfather, maybe, of all the abilities. It's like sort of covers a lot of them, and maybe that's why they chose this one to be their pillar. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely covers a lot. I mean, you know, when you say, and th- that's why I mean, there's not the scalability pillar, right? Um, right. Because scalability is part of this reliability. Exactly. So reliability is even bigger than that. Right. Right. So you know, otherwise, if if scalability was a pillar, we'd we'd have more than five. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about design principles for reliability. Sure. Right. So um, one is to um, test your recovery procedures, right? Mm. So, which is, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a big one. Um, it's, I, I think it's one that a lot of people don't really do. Um, right. I think we just lost 999 out of 1,000 dev teams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So definitely this is one of the, the, the you know, core, core principles there is having recovery procedures and testing them. Isn't that what AWS is for, though? Aren't they supposed to be the ones that test that? Well, it depends on what's, you know, this kind of goes to the I mean, shared. it's a bit of a joke, but I think, you know, there, there starts to be that sort of attitude around managed services, right? Like, oh, it's a managed service. They take care of that work. For, yeah, for, no. Well, for, for managed services, you know, they are, you know, for the most part, dealing with that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so if, if Lambda has a problem, right? Like, you know, if they have to do a recover from a Lambda failure, right? they're doing that right that's yeah. a, that's a fully managed service um things like rds um they're they're managed application uh, it, it's at a they're they're semi-managed right they're not it's not completely so there's responsibility there on, on both sides aws is doing some stuff they're responsible for the actual database but you're responsible for the data right um, so there's some some back and forth there and then of course if you're self-hosting right then there's it's then it's all on all on you so another key design principle here is to um, auto-recover from failures. Automate all the things, right? So same thing here. We want to, like, as much as we can, we want to automate whatever steps need to happen to recover from a failure. And this will go into, you know, if you have really, you know, well-defined run books um, and playbooks, um, that will feed into this as well. Cool. Another core principle, scale horizontally to increase um, availability. So, um, you know, this was... Definitely, we talked about this in the 12-factor app, where it's all about, you know, you're going to scale. You have these, these stateless processes, um, and you, you scale by just adding more processes. That's that horizontal scaling, right? right? So we're just going to keep adding, adding these duplicate services that can do work, and they're all stateless. Right, and speaking of LEDs, that was, that was one availability. Mm-hmm. Yep, indeed. Another one is um, stop guessing capacity. Um, so this goes back to one of the we we talked about this at the in last week's episode that one of the overall design principles of the well architecture framework, and this is specifically in the reliability pillar as well, right? So it's this is all about you know we talk about as the definition of it the dy- dynamically acquiring resources to meet demand, right? And so that's kind of what this is like take advantage of all the the services and features that in the cloud to allow you just to spin up, spin things down, um, go to that that um, that model where you're only you're only paying for what it is that you need, um, and mm-hmm. you don't need to over 
over provision or you don't need to, you know, run out of capacity um, unless you, you know, actually, you know, built that into your architecture erroneously, right? Right. Well, but is it worth saying, though, that this doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you have to be able to write a system that can scale from five users to five billion with one architecture, but rather that um, for that that your system can handle sort of scaling up and down for the maximum amount of you know workload that that it can handle. So I'm, I'm thinking, for example, about you know you just may have a system that's built on a regular RDBS RDBMS database and it can scale pretty big. Uh, but at a certain point, you're just going to need to add more. You know, it's that flexible architecture that that the well architecture framework is also talking about. Um, you're going to have to add more components, certain kinds of caching, maybe other types of databases, in order to be able to scale beyond a certain point. And and it doesn't matter if you've built auto scaling into it. Like you, there is going to be that place where it's okay. This this can't handle the load anymore. Um, and that's not the same as not guessing capacity, but it is sort of similar, right? It's like, well, we'll build this to handle up to 100,000 users. And then after that, we're going to have to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you can think of it as that, you know, your workload's going to go through evolutions and it's going to go through milestones, right? So you're going to have, you know, you may have an MVP and then V2, V3, V4. Um, and so each one of those may have a different architecture, right? Or you're going to make changes to the architecture, but for exactly. each one of those milestones, yep. you're not guessing on capacity, right, right? Right. Right. So, like that's the the core thing that should be going on. Cool. Um, and then, uh, last design principle is to manage your change with automation. So, if you <laughs> they put automation in twice, <laughs> um, it's, 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 it's just it's just it's it's um. You know, just automate, automate, automate as much as you can. So, in, for the design principles here, we talked about auto recover from failures. This is to basically use automation to manage change as well, right? Yeah. So, failures and change, basically, just everything that can be automated, you want to automate it. Take people out of the equation because people make mistakes, people forget. Um, you know, we're not good at doing those kinds of things right. versus and- that's exactly what computers are good at. And this is such a great business thing, too. I mean, we talked about how this uh, well-architected framework kind of reflects back into the business and not just the pure technology part of part of the, you know. Anyway, it's not just technology, right? So mm-hmm. if you think about Amazon itself and how it became such a powerhouse, it is because of that automate-all-things mindset. Like, as a bookseller, they started automating stuff. And then they had made so much cool automation technology that they started selling it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just automating on top of that too. And it's like, if you want to build another Amazon, you know, there's something to learn from that. Like even, even as we sit, sit around saying, well, some of this stuff is maybe a little too much to reach for, for a team with a lower budget or a smaller team or a team with, um, you know, certain kinds of, uh, risk tolerance because they're trying to grow fast or something, you know, maybe they don't have all the time to worry about game, you know, game day type activities. But that one thing, the automate all the things, like uh, any team can have that mindset and that can lead to amazing growth. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's also going it, to, those are investments that end up usually paying off at some exactly. point. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, it, you know, again, it may be something that manually it takes you one hour a week to do um, versus to automate it might take 20 hours. But after 20 weeks, it's now free. 
right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're now getting back time, right? Exactly. And so now that's a win. And so you start adding, you start doing those things consistently and, you know, you really get the network effect. Exactly. Yeah. So key service for reliability, that would be CloudWatch. So CloudWatch is going to give us insight into exactly what's going on in the system. It's going to be giving us events for when certain conditions are reached and whatnot. So it's going to help us um, scale our capacity. It's going to tell us when latency is, is too high and we need to deal with that. So, so CloudWatch is going to be a, a, just a core, core service here um, mm-hmm. in, in the reliability pillar. And it also will be the, the cloud's version of Cron, so it can schedule things to happen that maybe should be happening you know, when the system's not busy, all kinds of great stuff in CloudWatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to, I mean, you know, hats off to CloudWatch. It's pretty amazing just what it, if you think about like what it has to do, it's, it's a really complicated, hard problem, you know, and it's so key to just, just about everything. I mean, it's just, I mean, if CloudWatch, if there's any problems with that, like just everything breaks. Um, yeah. So, I mean, just, just the cron job part of it, right? Just having scheduled events, um, scheduled CloudWatch events, just that problem alone, like that's for the number of events that it's, that it's dealing with um, and then each of those schedules just that alone, like, is trying to build a service to do that, right? That's that's a pretty monumental task, and that's just a small slice of what CloudWatch does. Yeah, I yeah, know it's one of the most impressive services. Once you get to know it, at first it's sort of like, wait, this is this this feels like crappy for a log logger, mm-hmm. but that's not, that's not all it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't get me started on CloudWatch logs. <laughs> um, so uh, focus areas, um, three focus areas here. Um, so foundations, change management, and failure management. So this is, again, kind of one of those like head scratchers. It's like, so we're, we're in the reliability pillar, mm-hmm. and three focus areas, and they're foundations, change management, and failure management. And I can see failure management, right? That makes sense. You know, in order to be reliable, you got to make sure you're managing failures. Mm-hmm. And it's a focus, like, right? There's other ways of being reliable. Mm-hmm. Change management, that feels like just like AWS, like, ah, oh, man, remember that one time where we had a bad configuration and we blew out one of our regions? <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. probably what that's about, right? Because mm-hmm. um, they've made a change to a configuration and totally brought down a region. And then foundations I, I don't know what that is mm-hmm. it doesn't really speak to me yeah yeah so it's just I mean you know when I came across these I was just like eh, you know this is uh, kind of surprising you know forgiven that it's it's the reliability pillar doesn't it feel it feels like it's almost like not enough surface area being covered by these three things mm-hmm. but, that said, you know, you could say foundations ends up like that covers just about everything, right? That's not either change or failure. Right. <laughs> right. No, well, and, I, and reliability is kind of responsible for the ever increasing cost of software too, right? Like I often talk about how the software expectations just go higher and higher. So like, you know, building a website is not just as easy as like throwing out some HTML and, and being like, look, here's my website. It's like, so much more goes into it, and the tools get harder. Like React.js is that's not an easy thing to learn. You don't learn it in an afternoon. 
Um, so why are these tools so hard? And I think a lot of it comes back to this reliability piece, especially on for backend developers. Like it's just a black eye for anybody now to have a site go down or to have a service go down or to um, have a very visible error. Um, and so that all kind of comes into reliability or to have a deployment or to have a release that just fails. Like, uh, and, and then to automate recovery of that and to limit blast radius, those are all expected things now. They're not like, oh yeah, everybody makes mistakes. It's like, no, a lot of companies don't really make mistakes anymore. So which, which kind of company are you going to be? One that doesn't make mistakes or one that does. Yeah. Yeah. So it gets harder. Expectations get higher. Software gets more expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. So maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the the core AWS services for each one of these focus areas. Um, so with foundations, some of those services are going to be things like IAM, VPC, Trusted Advisor. And Trusted Advisor is um, because of its visibility into service limits. So service limits are going to be pretty important. Yeah. From, yeah. a, from a foundational standpoint, right? Yeah, Understand. yeah, well, yeah. You can break down a system if you're not paying attention. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and then um, Shield. Um, again, we talked about that previously. So this is going to protect you against things like um, deni- distributed denial of service attacks for change management. Things like CloudTrail, um, AWS Config for sure. So for those people that are not familiar with AWS Config, that's a way for you to track the state um, of your system and then any changes that happen to that state, get events on that. Um, so really so good. CloudFormation use that as a, uh, as a, like a dependent service? Because I noticed that CloudFormation tracks Drift. Is that using AWS Config? I'd, I don't know for sure. I uh-huh. wouldn't be surprised either way if okay. CloudFormation has its own way of doing it and Config is, is, a, is a whole different way. But yeah, they, they have... Drift detection, right? Drift being, this is what you made, and now it's changed. We've, right. yeah. you've so you're many, for instance, you've changed your IAM policy. It's like, that's drift. Yeah, anything being managed by CloudFormation, if it's not configured that way in your environment, then that's drift. Cool. Um, and then uh, CloudWatch is definitely part of this change management and um, auto-scaling. Right. So, so change management, this is like the scaling up and down um, to meet demand, right? So that's considered part of the change management. Focus okay, area. makes sense. Um, for failure management, um, things like CloudFormation, um, mm-hmm. S3, Glacier. Glacier. So, yeah, the, the, re- the reason here for failure management is um, basically backup and, uh, and NTR strategies, right? So S3 is for backups and then glaciers for archives. So it's all about, you know, that having those copies of the data, being able to sure. recover when failures happen, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so let's talk about some best practices. So in the foundations focus area, talked about, talked about this a bit before, but, you know, take into account your physical and service limits of your for your workload, right? So this is both at like the network level, you know, understanding things like CIDR ranges and, you know, how many IPs you have and dealing with like uh, service limits, both like from a, you know, how many API requests you can make, you know, for a certain time period or, you know, other infrastructure um, limits like load balancers, like how many load balancers can you have 
an mm-hmm. account or a region um, type thing. So just really making making sure that you've you've thought that stuff through and you're not you're not putting up any brick walls um, as your as your system evolves. Mm-hmm. Another um, best practice in the foundations is to really think about high availability and what does that mean to your workload and how are you going to architect it to have high availability, right? So this is a big, you know, big, big, big topic. And there's lots of questions here to ask yourself and things to think about. But, you know, some of the, the, some of the major things to think about would be like, you know, making sure you don't have any single points of failure, right? That would yeah. be a big, big problem, right? If you have a, if you have a SPOF, um, you want to be um, making sure that you're, you're, you have a multi availability zone design, Right, so mm-hmm. you don't want to be just in one AZ, right? You want to be at least two and probably three. Um, you want to take advantage of things like load balancing. You want to take advantage of auto scaling. Um, if you you have um, a hybrid environment or VPNs or whatnot, you're going to want to be thinking about redundant connectivity. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're direct connect, you want to make sure you have redundancy on that. Same thing goes with with VPNs and any other kind of networking you may have. And, you know, another big open, open issue, you know, um, open area is software resilience. So this, this goes to our applications, yeah. right? Like making our applications more resist, re- resilient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's just a wide open view. And we covered probably like at least four or five of the, principles of the 12 factor app, right. All are yeah. uh, underneath this, this concept of software resilience. Right. Um, so I wanted to mention that the, the availability stuff, a lot of it is kind of comes for free with typical web applications when you're using the cloud. Like it's not that hard to, to do it. Right. Like if you just, if you're using the console to set up your database, you just click the right thing and boom, you got some high availability database or like you're using ECS, like you just choose to have more than one node run in your containers and you've got high availability. And like a lot of that stuff is super easy with the cloud. Like it, it's, it's like almost harder to get it wrong and, they, and that's on purpose, right? And you mentioned like if you're running a hybrid environment, that's when you got to think about like having additional ways of, of you know, more than one way to, to have internet connectivity. And that got me thinking about some of our own projects and, and just like in particular IoT. And it's like whenever I'm, whenever I'm thinking about availability and, and connectivity, it's often because I'm worried about, you know, little IoT things like little devices that are here and there and trying to send data to AWS. That's when I've gotten wrapped around the axle in recent years when it comes to availability and dealing with it. Because um, the cloud takes care of so much of the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. You know, like, I mean, you know, we we build mobile apps too, right? So, like, mm-hmm. building mobile apps that actually still do the right thing when they're transferring between cell towers, right? Yeah, and they yeah, they well, they well, lose well. they lose yeah. coverage, right? And yeah. they they go off of Wi-Fi to LTE. So, mm-hmm. you know, what happens? People go into airplane mode, right? So, yeah. it's Definitely, um, you know. It seems like that's where some, some challenges. Hard, yeah, that's where some of the hard thinking about that stuff happens now, more so than mm-hmm. you know. As long as you just follow some best practices around not having single point of failures in the cloud, uh, the rest of the cloud avail, and then like writing good software, like actually having applications that don't fall over because of their own bad code, um, then the availability problem takes care of itself in the cloud. 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you. Like the the cloud makes it like a lot easier to build a to have a workload that has high availability. Um, but that said, it's still not easy. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I would bet that the majority of workloads in the cloud do not have like these basic characteristics, all of them, right? Mm-hmm. So there are architectures out there that have single points of failure. Um, oh, yeah. There are architectures out there that they're not multi-AZ, right? It's all in a single AZ. Mm-hmm. Um, there are ones that are not doing auto-scaling, like, um, they're, or they're, at the very least, they're not scaling up and down automatically, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a manual thing. And then obviously in software resilience, like, you know, being able to, you know, having services thrash um, and crash. I mean, even silly things like session state, right? Like still trips people up. Um, So, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of, again, it's kind of easy to like take all this stuff for granted and say like, it's kind of easy to build a high availability system. But I think, you know, in practice, like it's, it's, I think people still find it challenging. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, So continuing best practices um, in the failure management focus area. Things here are just backup and disaster recovery, right? Having those plans. Um, Thinking about your RPO, which is your recovery point objective, um, and your RTO, which is your recovery time objective, like understanding what those are and what you're designing for. You know, you should be thinking about that. So recovery point objective is really just saying like, what is the, um, uh, the increment of data that you can afford to lose, right? So you might say like we have to um, have data within the last like thirty minutes. That's as that's as as much as we're willing to lose, or it could be five minutes, right? But that's your recovery point objective, and then your recovery time objective is how long it's going to take you to recover when this does go bad, right? And so you know if that's if you have backups on S three, then it's like how long it's going to take to you know detect the failure get the appropriate backup and then get that backup restored. And that would be your time, your RTO, your, your recovery time objective. And that might be different if your backups are actually archived to Glacier or something like that. So right. keep those, keep those things in mind, have your disaster recovery plan in place. And then obviously you want to um, have game days and, and practice um, going through those, those kinds of um, processes. Very um, cool. Yeah. yeah, and then another thing, um, best practice in failure management is you know inject failures into your system Ooh, to test, test resiliency. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this is basically chaos engineering, mm-hmm. um, and you can go crazy with it. Um, it's pretty again pretty sophisticated. It's not really new anymore, right? It's it's oh. been around like the the concept has been around for five plus years. Um, especially thanks to Netflix and its Simeon army. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely as a best practice, like this is what we, we can aspire to do. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Every time I hear about it, it's like, I want to do it. And, and you know, I'll admit we haven't done it yet. Uh, but it, it seems fun. It seems like a fun, like coding challenge to play and overcome some of the things that, um, that chaos type testing could, could result in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's like it really doesn't make sense to do it until you've done um, 
you've, exactly, you've, yeah. you've got the fundamentals down, right? Like, right. Order, I mean, you have to be able to recover from failures automatically. Right. Yeah, like, you yeah. have to have software that's resilient to these things. Um, and so, um, otherwise, like, if you don't have that stuff in place, then inject failures all you want. It's just going to crash the whole thing, right? Yeah. It's not going to be too terribly useful. Right. You have to have built this thing out with the idea that failures are going to happen and this thing will continue to run when these failures do happen. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, cool. So, yeah, so to wrap this up with reliability, we can just talk about maybe some of the, just the key points to keep top of mind. Um, so one is, you know, plan your network topology, right? So again, think that you don't, don't, don't design yourself into a box, right? By creating one subnet with the entire 64 K address space, think carefully about your ciders, make sure like if you're going to, you know, you're going to be having peered um, VPCs and or um, uh, other networks like um, hybrid networks and on-prem networks that you don't have collisions between your your subnets. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, just plan your network topology because it, it's it is really kind of it's important and it could turn out to become really important down the road. Um, and it's definitely one of the first things that you do. So if you're if you're planning a network topology, I mean, we don't really have time to get all the way into this, but maybe there's a, a little rule of thumb that would be easy for people. Like, I think it would be safe to say it's easier to grow a subnet than it is to shrink it. So maybe you know, think of it from that perspective. You know, there's a limited IP address space. You don't want collisions. You don't want to run out of IP addresses. But if you you know, give yourself 16 or 24 or 32 IP addresses and you discover you need 35, like that, that's not a hard change to make. It, it depends on a lot of things, right? It just depends sure, on sure. everything else and how you've, how you defined it or, you know, what's the interrelationship between these things, what you're putting on the subnets. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it I mean, you, ideally, you just want to you want to right size them, and you don't want to have to no. uh, change them. So, <laughs> so you're going, wait a minute, though. That that's like so against the well-architected framework rules. Didn't we say <laughs> at the very beginning that we don't want to guess at capacity needs? <laughs> like literally, that is a tenant. It's so funny that it's like wait, but actually, make sure you have enough IP addresses. Well, this is a little bit different, right? Because this is your network topology, um, and so your network, your network is not going to scale up and down elastically, right? It just doesn't work that way. But so, it does. Isn't that computers and computers like don't they use an IP address? And wait, now you need to know how many computers you're going to need, right? But you you have things like your your just how your your mask, right? Your your cider. Um, uh, address space, right? So, and that, that's kind of a fixed thing. Um, and you can't, I mean, somebody, sometimes you can't even change that, right? You can't, like, and I guess an example would be like if you're um, in a VPC, if you, if you make a, a subnet too big, well, then you're kind of hosed. You can't add any more addresses you can't add any more subnets because you just don't the space is being taken up by the right. by the other one and that's um, where i was going with my original comment like make them small and then it's easy you can increase their size later if you have to yeah just as long as there's the again it, i think it there's a bunch of different factors that go into play there i think it's kind of easy, right? To like think you you can you can think of it your your network topology in, in the form of building blocks. Um, uh-huh. So I mean, it's okay to I mean, you know, there, there's some size to a subnet that makes sense 
to to you, and it could be like it's it's a subnet that's you know 256 um, IPs, and that's a good building block size, and you know, or it could be you know 512, or it could be a K or something like that. But it probably shouldn't. It shouldn't be like 32K. Like putting 32K addresses on a on a subnet doesn't make a lot of sense. And likewise, 16 is probably too small. And same thing with 32, and even 64. So you know, so, there, so maybe the thing is. Um, you know, use some other company's practice, like way of doing it. Like think about it the way some other company does. Like AWS has a thing where they're they kind of limit anything, any network to five, or any subnet to five thousand IPs to limit blast radius. So like if if you need more than five thousand, then that's another deployment, right? And then the deployments may need to talk to each other, like through some other system, like you know, network to network type communication. But but then that's a bigger architecture, right? So you're you're not like, oh, I need to be able to scale from one to one hundred thousand machines in this in this like horizontal scale up that I'm doing. No, it's like I'm going to scale from one to five thousand, and then I'm going to scale again. The next, I'm going to make another one, and it's going to scale from one to five thousand. Then I'm going to make another one, and it's going to scale mm-hmm. from one to five thousand. And that way, you're like you can kind of meet the tenant because that's what I was sort of joking about. Like, okay, you're not guessing at capacity needs; you're just setting up something that's able to scale, um, and then also a network that can kind of handle. Scaling again and again and again and again as needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's so again. Yeah. It's it's not this kind of elastic um, principle that we're kind of used to with things like compute and and storage and and whatnot. But you can think of it as just building blocks, and it's really easy to add on these additional blocks as you need them. And you know, there's. The, I guess again, the, the the takeaway here is just think it through, like understand like what those trade offs are, understand like what limitations you might be putting in at the very beginning, um, just by when you're setting up your VPC, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's been many many people that have been burned by that, right? When they set up their VPC, then find out down the road is like, oh no, mm-hmm. like, I have to go create another VPC, right? Right, and and VPCs really are the root of all evil when it comes to AWS because not only do they catch those people that you just mentioned, but you know you're trying to have a podcast and keep it to forty minutes, and like then you start talking about VPCs, and boom, you just blew mm-hmm. out the podcast. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so moving on, <laughs> uh, some other key points. Just um, yeah, make sure you you manage your AWS service and rate limits. So know what those are. Again, make sure you're not putting up any artificial walls um, that are gonna gonna block you as you grow. Um, monitor your system. So get CloudWatch instrumental here. Just really know what's going on in your system so you know when you when you do have to scale up or when you have to scale down, know when things are failing, know when things change. Yeah. Um, automate your responses to demand. Um, so again, take advantage of those 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 services, those features that will provide that elasticity. You know, where so use auto scaling have the, the scale up, the scale down events, um, use some of the managed services where it makes sense that just have basically infinite scalability. So Lambda, look at things like Fargate, DynamoDB, I mean, all these things um, really help help with that so that you don't have to do manually deal with, with demand. And then, um, you know, final one would, you know, obvious backup, right? So, you know, you're not going to deal well with, with failures if you're not backing up. Um, so backup, restore, disaster recovery, um, keep all that um, top of mind and have plans for it and practice. 
Good, good. All right, two more pillars down. So we've we've made it through operational excellence, security, and reliability. We've got two more to go next week. We do. Look forward to it. All right, sounds good. Thanks so much for this week's education, Chris. Talk to you next yeah. week. All right, thanks. See ya. Nobody listens to podcast outros. Why are you still here? Oh, that's right. It's the outro song. Come talk to us at mobicast.fm or on Reddit at r slash mobicast. <laughs>